Welcome to the Happy Startup School Community Podcast. I'm Carlos, co-founder of the Happy Startup School. This is the last in a series of episodes that, where I'm talking to contributors to our Happy Startup Summer Camp, which will be happening on the 13th of September of this year. In this episode, I'm joined by Nigel Berman, founder of School of the Wild. Nigel's been to camp um, for the past few years now. His gift is always an immersive experience that leaves attendees with a sense of awe and fuels their creativity. During this conversation, he shares his entrepreneurial adventure through times in accountancy, magazine publishing, speed dating events, online eco stores, and now experiences in nature. He currently works with leaders and organizations to help them with innovation and problem solving by getting them into the wild. Nigel's entrepreneurial journey much like mine and Lawrence's, has been based on following his passion. If you're looking for an, alter- an alternative path to being an entrepreneur that doesn't involve getting an MBA and selling yourself to venture capitalists, then I recommend you listen on. For Nigel, this path is about deciding what you really love and what you can give. This is why we love having Nigel contribute each year to camp. He aligns so closely to our mission. Our Happy Startup Summer Camp is an antidote to the always-on culture that many of us find ourselves in. This is a chance to slow down, connect with others, and connect with yourself. You'll leave camp looking at the world very differently, more optimistic, full of possibility, overloaded with creativity, and hopefully a bit more clarity. Now for the episode. But yeah, to give you a feel, we are here in Platform 9. I'm here with Nigel Berman. It's a, it's, it's a warm, hot, sunny day, and we're in a cosy, sweaty little phone booth, which I chose because outside, the, it's a really cool place. You quite like this place, don't you? Love it. It's a, like a big open plan space, cafe area, lots of cool music, lots of nice background noise. I had thought, oh, it would complement the conversation. But actually, it just made it harder to, to hear. And when I was listening back to my own voice, it just sounded like this is going to be a bit too distracting. So we're there, there are these little phone booths in the, in the space. I thought it would be a nice, cosy place to, or actually a soundproof place to have a conversation until someone actually walks in next door and starts talking. <laughs> you can hear every single word, but hopefully we'll be fine. Um, now, Nigel was at our summer camp last year. I was. Um, you gave a very touching, impromptu talk. It yeah. wasn't something you were prepared or had been prepared to do, but actually I think landed with a lot of people very, very well. And it was a very honest story about you and your work. And so what I'd like to start off with is to give the listener um, an understanding a bit more of you and your and your past and you know, touching on, on the different parts of, of yeah. you, really. So why don't you start off by you know just introducing yourself as to what you do now. Yeah. As clearly as you can, because okay. that's always a challenge. Yeah. But, and then maybe a, a potted history of how you got here. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to go there again? <laughs> you need to go there again. Or oh, people can just go. Uh, no, no, talk. it's fine. I'm just <laughs> thinking about the emotional side of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm Nigel. I um, run School of the Wild. Um, we run programs for leaders and teams um, where we take you into nature to reconnect with the wild and each other. I hesitated there because I'm thinking about changing it to say with the world and mm. each other rather than the wild. 
Um, although it is in the wild. Um, because I'm not sure that how that lands with people. And I think at the, in these times when the news is about climate change and loss of species and, you know, I, I passionately believe that we need to reconnect with the world, mm. the rest of the world, um, for our own sakes and for the sake of the planet. So that's the kind of inspiration for the work. Mm. Um, we run these really cool programs based around campfires. Um, it's very conversational led, includes some practical things and engaging with nature and using nature. I spent quite a bit of time learning about foraging and kind of ancient primal skills, which I don't necessarily teach, but I have experienced the benefits of those things. And just just being in the woods and sitting around the fire is, well, for me, it feels like coming home. Mm. And I hadn't really expected that when I started doing this stuff. Mm. Um, so okay. yeah, that's what, is, what would you like me to say? No, well, <laughs> I think so the, the things that come across um, when you're talking about, you know, even trying to think about what is it I'm trying to do here, mm. connect with the wild or connect with the world, uh, underneath that, there's a there's a thing about empathy, mm. empathy with each other, mm. and empathy with the planet. Yeah, totally. It's about connection. I think that's what it's all about, connection. And you know, empathy is a part of that. You know, for for organisations to work together, the te teams have to trust each other. It's like the foundation of a team. Um, if you don't have trust, then you can't work together, you can't do good work, you know. There's always going to be something that you're holding back or you're not bringing your whole self to what you do. And with the planets, I mean, it's quite, it's just tricky. You know, there's something that happens when you, when you go out into nature that you don't have to think about what's happening or why it's happening or the science behind it or even notice it, you just, something it's an experience that that we're part of and um that makes you feel better mm. makes you feel good um but there's there's a kind of whole ideas about seeing everything as being alive and if you and if you choose to see the world like that then it changes the way you think about things and the way that you want to treat things and mm. you know empathy with a natural world is an interesting idea it's like how do you have empathy with a tree mm. um but you know there is something there definitely so there's w when you're talking there there's you're saying all right you know when you are in nature you're not you're not there's nothing you're doing to it you're being part of it um, and the contrast that I, I was thinking about is like in work and organizations and even daily life, we're thinking a lot. Mm. We're doing a lot of planning, thinking, mm. worrying, considering. And then when you talked about being in nature, there's nothing to do. You're mm. just living it. Yeah. You're being part of it, which is, and you talked about ancient stuff. Yeah. Back when we were. Yeah. Before <laughs> the internet. <even>. Before <laughs> the internet even. <laughs> Before cities, we were, we were just part of it. Yeah. We were just living it. We were actually being, reacting to the environment. I think yeah. that's what. And then there's that whole, you know, people talk about mindfulness. 
and being present in the moment. Yeah. I saw that connection when you were talking. It's like, you're just there. You're just being there. It's about being rather than doing. Doesn't mean you don't do stuff. No. But we forgot how to be. Well, I know I have sometimes, you know, so busy doing stuff that uh, I forget about being. So let's rewind a bit because there's the, the, it feels like there's this, there's your own personal story of going from thinking, doing to nature and being. And so you said you were an accountant. (laughs) (laughs) And I I picked that out because that's one of the most thinking types of jobs that you could have, isn't it? Because it's a very abstract you know, when I left uh, uni and I didn't know what to do and, you know, uh, I was it was suggested it was going to be a good career and, you know, a good career path and accountants are always busy and um, so I just did it. I went and did that and, um, you know, worked for KPMG in London and uh, some really cool things about it, you know, it was... You know, there's some fun people there and, um, you know, lots of perks and things. And back in the day, our very first, you know, they were starting to bring in computers and uh, the company bought Mac Classics for the departments. So I got to learn about computers and things using an app on these kind of cubes that we used to carry in these huge bags around to clients on the tube and stuff. And they were, you know, that was quite forward thinking, actually. Yeah. They were brilliant and they were great fun to use. And, you know, th- that kind of started a lifelong love of Apple Macs because that's what I learned on. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was quite cool. Yeah. So I um, it's interesting there. There's this idea of, you know, as an accountant, it's a good job because mm. you're always busy. Um, the way that. I, I interpret that or that lands in terms of what people are looking for you, like whether they're parents, friends, family. It's stable. Yeah. You'll be safe. Yeah. And so pick a job that's safe and stable because yeah. we want you to be safe and stable. Yeah. Um, and then you went on a different journey. Or yeah. uh, you went on a journey. Yeah, I think, you know, my, my family background is a sort of classic immigrant uh story and so it was all about that safety and security and stability and not really about I didn't you know it was only later that I actually saw myself as a creative being Mm. and um, yeah so that was quite interesting but yeah I I left uh, basically I decided to take a year out because I'd gone straight from university into that job and I never really thought about anything or spent time being and I ended up taking two years off to travel around Asia and Australia and backpacking. I was a kind of classic backpacker <laughs> around India and Thailand and, you know, had the most amazing two years. It was brilliant. But, yeah, I spent a lot of time being outside. I think, you know, in a warmer part of the world, you know, and I remember being in Australia and watching a TV program that, from England and thinking, wow, it looks so grey there. And in Australia, everything's so bright and they've got these massive skies and such open countryside. Um, You know, and even on the buses, you know, long bus journeys in India. (laughs) But looking out the window and seeing rice fields and, you know, just the colour and the vibrancy of it all, I just, I found it quite moving, actually. 
and that's kind of stayed with me. Um, yeah, and then when I came back to the UK, I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't go back into accountancy. I had to do something else. You know, things had happened in those two years that had changed me and the way I saw everything. And you know, I studied, I discovered Tai Chi and yoga and meditation and environmental things. And when I came back, that's what I wanted to find out about. And I stayed in London for a bit because that's where I'd grown up. But someone who I'd met while I was traveling rang and said there was a spare place in their shared house in Framfield, which is next to Arkfield. And I said, yeah, well, I just, you know, my first experience of Brighton was getting, so I came to meet them. They met me at Brighton Station and um, got out of the train station and I could see the sea at the end of the road. And I was just blown away by that. And I thought, wow, this place is amazing. And so I moved in with these guys. It was quite a journey. Cool. And then, um, so then what next? You're down here in Brighton, South Coast. Yeah, so we used to, you know, we were in the Sussex countryside. Buckfield's a bit of a strange place. Um, <laughs> Brownfield is a bit different. Um, we used to come to Brighton a lot to go to Infinity Foods and to go to learn, go to yoga at the Natural Health Centre. Wow. And um, I'll give people a context. What year is this now? <sighs> Don't ask me about years. <laughs> <laughs> At least 20 years ago, maybe more than that. Well, all right, this is late 90s, early yeah. 2000s. Yeah. Cool. Because uh, Brighton has changed a lot. Brighton has changed so much. Um, so Infinity so Foods is still around. <laughs> yeah, but it's completely changed. You know, the library wasn't there. There was like a car park for years and years. And the seafront was completely different. And it was a very much more alternative. Mm. There was loads of crazy bohemian things going on. And you know, it was it was good fun to be here. And I'd actually so when I was living in Framfield, um, actually started a magazine from my bedroom. Cool. Um, because partly as a way to bring together the things that were going on in Brighton. I could see like the Natural Health Centre published their own listings, Evolution published their own listings, and there were all these other places. None of them were talking to each other and you know, so I published this magazine with loads of listings in, and also because I wanted to carry on my exploring of the things that I'd come across mm -hmm. um, while I was overseas. And uh, yeah, it was quite, it was, you know, magazines are hard, and it's all about selling advertising. And my first one, you know, it seemed to be exciting, and I, and I got distribution with Time Out in London, and um, then it bombed because you know the cost of it kind of caught up with the mm. actual sales which you didn't get reports back for three months so it was quite hard to manage production costs um, then I started writing and um, then I don't know I was like I'm never doing another magazine again <laughs> and then somebody <laughs> said I can see you doing another magazine and I just thought oh yeah <laughs> So I started and I launched another magazine in Brighton, which I did differently. It was just Brighton. It was free. Um, and it evolved into being more about culture and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just this sort of new agey alternative thing. It was, you know, included film reviews and restaurant reviews and kind of thought pieces and investigations into what was happening politically, locally and culturally. And yeah, it's 
it got talked about and mm. it was good yeah it was sort of you know I was like it was more thoughtful than you know the other magazines were much about the clubbing and partying and mm. what definitely what's on this was a bit of what's on and a bit of thoughtfulness some deeper deeper conversations you wanted to create with yeah yeah, we definitely had our period when it was uh, when it was working. Yeah. So, um, how f- long before was that? Uh, before you started Nigel's Eco Store, when did how did that? Was there a transition between those two? Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like everything has been a ten-year project. So <laughs> 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 that the Insight magazine yeah. and other magazines that we did, we did. Um, publishing for other organisations uh, off the back of it I did for 10 years and towards the end of it I mean it was always it was also again it was quite difficult because you know it was about selling advertising mm-hmm. and um, it was always tough um, but yeah after about 10 years I was looking for other ways to m- support the magazine through revenue and so we decided I found these, I was looking at the Independent and I saw like a, one of their top 10 best eco products and I looked at them and I thought, wow, these are amazing and, you know, it was before the internet had kind of really happened that I just thought, right, we're going to start selling those (laughs) (laughs) and that sort of, and originally I tried to do it as kind of full page ads Mm. um, in the magazine with a website. It didn't really work, okay. you know, and um, very quickly, I could see we were getting traffic from all over the country and nothing from Brighton. So I thought this is different and interesting, and it's and I and at the time I thought selling products is a, you know, I thought I could save the planet through products, mm. and B, it felt like it was more honest than selling advertising. I don't know, you know, honest yeah. in my sense of like people buy something it's a product it's physical it's a clear exchange yeah. yeah so I actually um, found someone to buy them buy the magazine um, which is another story <laughs> 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 interesting I could go do you want me to go into that I could uh, there's, oh, you know, if there's like something if you feel energy and there's something there that you'd like to share some like key I mean I could tell stories about that I mean um was like a key thing that, that stood out for you for that process because you know uh, the way I so the why would from the outside there's something you, you grew from the ground up it evolved in what it in, in its I think with both magazines I, I hear there's, there's this need you know there's need to explore a bit more whether mm. it's spirituality whether it's about uh, also there's a need from these listings were just sporadic how can we bring mm. them in one place but then there's also understanding, okay, it can't be just about this side of my need. There's, we want to be able to, there's a need from other people that we want to satisfy as well. So there's other bits that went into the magazine. I think I had, my, my need is to share information and ideas mm. that are, that I see them as a bit new and different mm-hmm. and that kind of set me alight. Yeah. So that's... And you know, and the ma- and running the magazine and its popularity kind of showed there are other people who were similar. Yeah. So you, know, you, you, you become a beacon, nearly, right? You say this is this is the stuff that I think is interesting, and that attracts like-minded people. Yeah. You put your hand up because I find that interesting because people find 
particularly in the happy startup school where we meet lots of people with ideas but they think oh I can't share it because mm. I'm the only weirdo or mm. nutter who's going to do this but actually when you do and you really talk authentically about it that's what starts to bring people out of the woodwork because they see something they're going to be attracted to I think I'm I'm getting confident, more confident with that with School of the Wild. Mm. There's, there's some part of it that feels a bit out there, and uh, which is very not mainstream way of thinking. So, uh, but I'm slowly getting more confident with speaking up about that. And so, uh, did, did you still want to briefly talk? Because there's, there's this element, that the, the, the thread that I saw, there's this thing I created, I wanted it to happen, I wanted to make it happen. Then it, the kind of the challenges of making something financially sustainable, what's the business model underneath it? Um, you hit on this idea of selling products as a way to create revenue for the magazine, but then you saw more some traction in there, something happening there, and so um, you didn't, you couldn't necessarily run both things at the same time. And I didn't want to. And you didn't want to. No, and so I lost. You know, after ten years, I sort of lost interest in the magazine. Mm. You know, and, and there was somebody. You know, we'd done some fun things. I actually started a dating company off the back of it, and <laughs> speed dating, and a film festival. Um, and another publishing company, which uh, I realised at that point that I was spreading myself too thin. But the you know the dating was really fun, and that we used to run these huge parties at a house uh, on Brighton Seafront, the most amazing house, like five floors and huge flowing staircase, and it was really you know the grandeur and the, the wow. you know it was an event, and you know we had two hundred people wow. at these dating parties. Wow, that was such good fun, and then. Then I thought, I really like the idea of speed dating. It felt very democratic. So I used to run these huge speed dating events, like <laughs> 80 people, 40 men and 40 women. And yeah. it was just like ridiculous. And everyone came out and they were exhausted <laughs> from talking. <laughs> I listened to it. <laughs> um, yeah, they're a total yeah. buzz. You know, and I used to kind of wander around Pyle. Brighton and people would say, come up to him and thank me for bringing them together with their oh partners. Wow. And it was amazing. Oh, that's amazing. It was really good fun. Um, yeah, so. You had to offload the magazine. Yeah, so, you know, the, the dating was too much. It was all too much, really. Yeah. And then the magazine, uh, I was always difficult, you know, it was always struggling, really, financially. So um, I managed to find an investor and a buyer who turned it into something completely different. And, okay. you know, and at that point when I sold it, I was like still a 50% partner, but I just, it was really uncomfortable for six months. So I just, at that point I, I left. Mm -hmm. And I'd already started Nigel's Eco Store as a kind of side project. Okay. And it was, it seemed to be working. So, and I sort of found, I sort of thought I'd found the next thing, you know, mm. my next thing, you know, I was, finding all these really innovative, cool eco-products and getting contacted by the press left, right and centre. We had so much press coverage, it was ridiculous. Um, so it felt again like we tapped into something and, you know, I'd found some really interesting, unusual eco-products. I used to travel to find products. I went to Frankfurt and I went to Birmingham. I think I bought my first ever solar-powered charger from your store. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know... And it's interesting because we had very little contact with our customers. You know, no no face to face. It was all technology, all online. I quite liked that. But then the customer service 
just you know ground me down as well mm. in the end I mean you know the yeah it's a whole other thing so there's a yeah there's the energy required to keep up with people's questions and requests yeah. and, and, and challenges and and how many of you were at the time well it sort of grew up to five I think five years <laughs> but I, I started by storing all the products in my home and then when I felt like my home feels like a warehouse mm -hmm. then I moved it to a um, to a logistics company so you know that whole that whole side of things was just taken away so we could be quite small mm -hmm. and I didn't have to have packing staff and you know delivery and all do all of that look after any of that okay um, so that was quite liberating mm. and yeah you know we had to understand about SEO and marketing and we got quite good at email marketing I think that's where I discovered the power of email mm -hmm. um, sort of before social media and before Amazon you know before those things kind of took over mm -hmm. um, and when people were still understanding these things and how they worked and Google kept changing their algorithms all the time and mm -hmm. you know there was moments when we were top of Google for so many things and then we just gradually slipped off and off and off and off mm -hmm. and we just didn't know what to do and you know um, and you know for the first five years it was it was on an upward curve mm -hmm. it was very exciting and then the recession hit um, and it became kind of difficult and the conversation changed mm. in the country to being just about the economy yeah so there's um, there's at some point it feels like there was this I, I get the feeling when you first started so you went travelling and there was this connection with the planet and then you came back and then there was this journey of kind of uh, entrepreneurial discovery trying things out having fun it was like it was like a, a road trip an entrepreneurial road trip mm. uh, and then at some point it feels like you were then drawn back to nature um, and yeah the kind of this the part. same thing happened actually I'm just realizing there's a bit of a theme is that when Nigel's eco store so the first five years were, were great then the next five years were really hard and towards the end I was looking for other things you know trying to find anything that might make a difference and I found experiences in nature and it seemed to fit you know fit with what I was interested in fit with what I love and fit with what we were already doing so I started offering experiences in nature as products I guess. Mm -hmm. but it did, you know that didn't work um, but I so I set it up on the side and that started to take off on its own. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was at the beginning of Meetup, and Meetup were amazing. Mm. You know, they did all the marketing for you, recruitment and uh, marketing of the workshops. So mm. it grew really quickly. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I found something where I could put my heart again. Mm. You know, and the ideas behind it. Also, it felt like I'd reconnected with something that I discovered when I was traveling around Asia. Mm. Um, you know, something important and meaningful and 
You mentioned something about the healing aspect of it as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I spent 20 years sat behind a computer, basically, in a small office. Mm. Um, I, uh, you know, I used to get high blood pressure, you know, I couldn't sleep. Um, and sitting down for years and years uh, is never is not good for anybody. And I ended up with a slipped disc, which I think is surprisingly common. Okay. Um, it's incredibly painful. And um, yeah, and uh, you know, I found that being in nature and the kind of natural solutions really, really helped. And you know, I had to do all sorts of things for my back. Mm. But in terms of stress and blood pressure and happiness um you know getting out into onto the downs or into woods and or going for a walk along the river even the seafront mm -hmm. um makes such a huge difference moving yeah. as well you know for my back mm. moving is really important and not sitting down for hours and hours which is mm. still a bit of a challenge so i see this um uh, it's interesting the, the you spotted that little patterns like you had the magazine and you tried to do the selling uh, products about the magazine that didn't work and you spun it off as a separate thing it started to work better you then had the product store Nigel Eco store you tried to sell experiences part of Nigel Eco store that didn't work you spun it out as a separate thing and then that started to take off and then I hear you know one of the needs was to reconnect with this love of nature mm. or because that's mm. the thing I heard the word or sprang to mind when you're mm. in that bus in India and you could see all these amazing colours mm. and rice paddies um, and then that was also a process of healing for you mm. by be reconnecting with nature and then by creating School of the Wild there's this journey of then what other benefits it creates not just healing but also connection yeah I've definitely been on the journey with it in fact what comes to mind is um, somebody came to one of the campfires that we do for leaders uh, a few weeks ago and afterwards I, I had a coffee with him and I'm saying, you know, what was, it, what was it like? And he said that he wasn't expecting to feel, you know, he felt connected with the group but he felt connected with everything. <laughs> you know, he just was able to let go of tension and just be himself mm. and... Um, that was quite eye-opening. I've heard this a few times, um, when especially when you said the connection with everything. Mm. People try and do that with drugs. Mm. <laughs> they drop some acid or they take some MDMA and it's like everything's amazing. Mm. Everything's connected. And what you're doing is necessarily no chemicals involved other than the natural ones. Yeah, it is like a drug. Trying the <laughs> space for that. Yeah, but um, I think the thing. I, I think it also is addictive as well. Well, there's there's a there maybe there's good and bad addictions. I think the thing that springs to mind is it's something that's already there that mm. just people have lost. Mm. And you were talking about you know these are ancient practices that people have forgotten. I mean, you know, and I say this every session we do is that you know human beings have been around for you know, you could argue two and a half million years. Mm -hmm. So for millions of years, we lived in nature, you know. There was no, you know, for the vast majority of human history, we lived in really close contact with the land. And now it's something like, it's more than 80% of the UK lives in towns and cities. 
and we just lost that connection and you know we just don't see it or feel it and I think I notice myself when you spend time in a city there's so much stimulation there's so much going on you actually don't care about nature that much so lack of perspective it feels I think it's a connection I don't know it's a busyness or something I mean I you know I'm not saying cities are bad but I think it's important for our insanity mm. and you know the fact that we can't just pretend that what some people refer to as the non-human world doesn't mm. exist and isn't alive and isn't important to our own survival mm. you know I think finally this kind of stuff is coming out in the news where scientists are making this stuff credible and plausible well it, it was just hippies before well yeah I think the thing that's interesting you said that because the the thing that sprang to mind is I've been reading and listening to a lot about the ideas of evolutionary biology and you talk about you know we spent a good two million years um, in communion not only with nature but within tribes mm. so how we've evolved as a species is we've had to connect and cooperate in mm -hmm. order to survive um, through this evolutionary process of, of in sensingly fighting with nature you know, to be able to you know that's the beauty about evolution mm. as a principle is like the the ones that are able to adapt are the ones that survive and so we were slaves is the wrong we we were beholden to nature in the past and so we had to interact with each other and we had to evolve in a way to, to adapt to how nature works and now i feel I'm not sure i totally agree with that okay but no, well no, no. i think if you you know I don't know. That's a story that mm. we were beholden to nature. I mean, I don't know whether we lived more in har more harmoniously with nature mm. in the past. You know, we kind of tend to think of um, the past. It must have been so hard. And, you know, how did they do things and how did they cope? And But actually, I don't think it was like that. I mean, we're here after all. So we must mm. have. We, how did we survive if, if things weren't supportive and good and not that difficult yeah so I think so where my thought was going was the what makes us different to animals is that our ability to imagine abstract things so we were able to understand how we could actually shape the world around us in ways that that were very uh, I was going to use the word unnatural but it was very based on our imagination we invented ideas about structures and how to use fire and how to then uh, even herd wildlife and, and basically bend nature to our will in a sense. Yeah. Um, that required a lot of not only um, understanding and imagination but collaboration. And I think that's the thing I understand about it. us as species. Our ability to work together even if we don't know each other has been the thing that's actually made us get to where we are at the moment. But actually, now we're here, what we've done is we've, I believe, and this is again, maybe you can correct me, we've forgotten how we got here in terms it was about connecting with us, understanding nature, having that sense of empathy with our fellow person and, in turn, you know, the rest of the planet because we survive by interacting. Now, we're such an 
you can you can argue that many of us are so individualistic, feeling that we can do everything ourselves. Mm. We can we can master the world when in fact we're still really dependent on each other. Mm. So very true. And then that being in nature, reconnecting with the fact that actually you are a part of this wider system. Yeah. Maybe reminds us that we're also a part of a wider society, and you know your idea about leadership and being in a company. Yeah. We, n- we need to remember that we depend on each other. We need yeah. to learn how to work with each other. Yeah. Yeah, completely. You know, I think that, yeah, I mean, you said it really. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that, well, no. I, I think he's, uh, well, what I was trying to connect with is with your, where you're working now, what you're yeah. trying to do now, because with these leadership. I think, you know, the leadership work that I do, uh, for me, it's about the fact that leaders make a choice and can make a choice so what choices do you want to make what choices can you make and you know i think anyone who starts a business or is a leader is you know leadership is about you know one day you wake up in one morning you decide you're going to do something and then you just and then you do it Mm. and um you know and then every day after that is about how you do that thing and how you make it successful and you can't do it on your own um but in terms of the, the, the choices of the things that we need to do now, they need to be things that benefit the planet. And, you know, the, the recent declaration, I think this is quite significant, actually, although it doesn't, I haven't really seen anything change yet. But, you know, if, we, if this country decided that we were in a climate emergency, then every decision that we would, we would take would fall out of that. Mm. And then people are starting new businesses. I think, you know, that's a point where you can make a difference. You know, anybody can make a difference, really. But um, you can choose to do something that's that's, uh, giving back as opposed to taking. Mm. You know, it's not just about the money. It's not just about the money anymore. So what I'm I'm hearing there is... Part of it, I hear, is this idea of making really conscious decisions. And one of the things about being a leader is you're bombarded with many decisions to make. Yeah. And how do you prioritize which is the right decision to make? And then uh, the way I understand it is when you're very clear about what you stand for, and what you believe in, and what you want to create in the world, you're, it's much easier or less hard to say no to things. And that's part of the yeah. clear decision making. And so I think you have to we have to make these choices even when we're not sure. Yeah. You know, we don't have the luxury anymore of, of thinking you're not good enough or we don't really know what you're doing. I've never really known what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I always think I'm an imposter. Um, I think it's just about deciding what you really love and what you can give and and doing it. You know, what are you res- what's what are you responsible for? But I, I think, you know, I think like you were saying that it's difficult when you're running a business that you get kind of in the day to day the details. Like you've got to stick your head above the parapet and think about the bigger picture. Mm. Um, I think if we're going to be successful, you know, I, my business has always had a lifespan and it's always been really because of external factors actually mm. um, have changed and not really rolling with the changes. So I like what you said about you need to step above the parapet and you've got to see the bigger picture. Um, 
because for me when you start looking at a bigger picture the word meaning mm. becomes more into play yeah and and with that to, to i believe to get a greater sense of meaning you need to get a greater sense connection with yourself yeah. and it brings me back to this word empathy you know we talked about empathy for the planet empathy for other people but also empathy with yourself yeah and that's where i see by being in nature yeah switching off the noise uh, realizing your place well, you know in, in this very complex and big thing that we're in yeah then you start having to think a bit more inwardly i think so we were touching on the idea of well uh, where i was coming from this idea of uncertainty you know, yeah you can never have all the facts yeah. we, we need to yeah. make decisions and then how a connection with yourself connection with nature can help with that yeah that in, a, in a knowing way yeah feeling confident yeah okay dealing with uncertainty yeah so um so carrying on from this idea of of making decisions and trusting yeah. what's next and you were saying you know nature you know being in nature can give you all sorts of things yeah it's not just one thing yeah um, and we're talking about summer camp and, yeah. and your part, your your part in that. What we can be certain of is your intention. Yeah. What is it? What What is your intention with your work and also your intention with the people who come to summer camp and and be part of this, of the the workshop, the the activity that you're going to be doing. So maybe start with the activity you'd like yeah. to share. Okay. And then what what that is. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, I'm doing two things this year and you know uh, one of them is something I absolutely love and I loved you know what what I what I realized I love doing is is giving people a sort of real immersive I'm going to say intense experience where you where at the end of it you feel like wow that was really something and um, so I think this year will be the third time that I'm going to lead a night walk which is one of my most favorite things ever and you know walking in the dark with no torches and in silence through the woods is just one of the most amazing things that you can do and as a group uh, it's really brilliant and you feel like I think someone said once they felt like they were part of a herd or a pack or something um, but you really you know you tune into your body you tune into other senses you tune into the world around you and the land and you're listening for sounds and how, what you can feel because you can see very little and the connection between the people who come um, is really great and you might see stars and uh, you know different sort of environments there's a bit where there's uh, um, some water and I think one year we were in a different place and we stopped in a site near a sort of big lake and there was a lightning storm and in the distance and then the geese and it just was like it was such an amazing experience I loved it and you know and so I'd love to offer that and the other thing is this um, is what I'm calling leading with purpose um, which is a session based around a campfire where um, you know it, it's partly about connection and it's partly about I'd like to show you a way that you can use nature to help with decision making, with creative, with creative thinking, with interacting in a, with the with the world in a way that's a bit surprising. Um, 
So uh, it's about connection, it's about reflection, and it's emergence. So basically, I'll, I'll set the scene, but then it's about the group coming up with the things that you want to talk about and then using nature to help in the conversation. Um, I don't want to give it away too much, mm, actually, because it's kind of... Um, you know, part of it is the surprise of it and the not knowing. Mm. Um, but it's fun and, you know, I'm very... Something that's that's really important to me is to make sure that everybody says has something, can say something, even people who don't usually say anything get the chance mm -hmm. to speak. And it's something that I found challenging and um, also enriching um, is speaking in a circle and making sure that I get to speak because often in groups I find even I feel like I've got something to say that I don't always say it mm. and you know it's quite I feel it's quite important to offer that to other people and a way of so the session gives everyone a chance to to tell a story about themselves and to find out more about each other and there's something about I know we're at summer camp so it's going to be outside anyway but still it's like a structured opportunity to really find out about somebody else and what they do and you know all sorts of collaborations and opportunities can come out of that which I know that's what Summer Camp is offering so on an earlier podcast um, with Sanderson Jones yeah we coined the phrase uh, communal peak experiences yeah <laughs> I like it and um, I think one of the, th the uh, my belief is many people in this world forget to take the time to connect with others yeah. in a really deep meaningful way yeah. and that that is potentially damaging on the long term because you're always lost in your head and so you're not able to necessarily see objectively or yeah. even be inspired by new ways of looking at the world yeah. and so at, at your workshop in particular but also I think being at summer camp we are creating this space where by connecting with other people, you potentially connect more with yourself, and then you come away with a renewed sense of focus, energy, yeah. inspiration. Yeah, and that's that that's the aim for my session. Brilliant. Yeah, and I, I think that's see uh, so for anyone listening to this, I think that's the challenge where where conventional conferences are very much about this is the speaker, this is what they're going to tell you, this is the plan that you're going to follow, and this is the success you're going to make. Um, and I, I believe what we're doing by having people like yourself and other people who are going to share, but we, you know, we're doing an open space session again. Um, we have Christine Chopiak, who's going to be doing something about visualizing your business. So it's very much about drawing. All of these things are very emergent things. Mm. And I think part of uh, the benefit of what we're trying to give is that actually the not knowing, mm. and then actually through that, something that you really need will probably pop mm. up. I love, I love this idea of emergent. I love it. I mean, that's that's what we do. Mm. So it's not me telling you. Yeah. It's it's emerging from the group, and uh, just creating a space for that to happen. So one of the things I've learned um, recently, actually, around community building and creating spaces, safe spaces, is the idea of creating boundaries. Mm. And one of the boundaries that I think I'd like 
I, this pop up, popped up for me is like, emergence won't happen if you don't have the right mindset. Mm. If you come into a space like this with a very closed mindset, very fixed, mm. holding on to something or holding on to the outcome that you believe you need to create, um, then it's l I, I don't believe this is going to be the best place for you. Yeah. But if you can come in with a real open, open to possibility, opportunities, open to new ideas, and let yourself be guided by those new ideas, and not be too fixed, then that's when the magic happens. And I think nature is the most amazing place because it supports that. You know, mm -hmm. there's no walls to start with, so it is very mind-opening. And you know, there are lots of research and studies that show the effect it has on creative problem solving, creative thinking. Actually, you know, I keep I always quote this stat that uh, nature can boost creative problem solving by as much as 50%. But actually, the, the actual study, in fact, before I tell you this, you know, and I've seen this in the sessions that we run, you know, we send people off, and I'm giving it away now, but for a walk on their own for 15 minutes, to, and they come back with the most creative things. I mean, it is mind-blowing how quickly that happens. But the research shows that well, the study shows that immersion in nature for three days is what boosts a creative thinking by 50%, because that's what the, st the study that they did. And some accounts three days, is it? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. by the end of three days, you'll be super creative and super creative thinking. Makes me think then, you know, there's this classic startup thing, you know, what's the problem you're trying to solve and what's the solution? Mm. Um, on one hand, we can't guarantee a solution. But I think the problem we're trying to solve is if you're banging your head against a decision, a question, a challenge, and you're in that really uncomfortable space of not knowing, maybe you just need to sit with that not knowing in a place where you can become more open to possibility. Yeah. And then the answers will come. Yeah. I think, if, you know, if you keep turning something over and over in your mind, you almost never get to the answer. It's only when you let go of it and you go for a walk and do something else. And I think... You know, something I've found, you know, I've, uh, you know, no one else can find the answers for you. I mean, in a way, it does all come from within and they just pop up somehow. <laughs> I don't know where it comes from, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's how it works, I, I find anyway. Thank you. It's Thank really you. A pleasure talking to you and I look Likewise. forward to well, experiencing another night walk. Well, actually, I haven't done a night walk yet. Yeah, you definitely have to come. I have to do a night walk this time and also the, the campfire. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Happy Startup School community podcast. If you want to find out more about what we do, then check out our website, www.thehappystartupschool.com. You'll find out more about our community, the courses that we offer, and also the conversations and content that we're trying to create to help you get clear about how to build a purposeful business without burning out. So if you're trying to balance the money and the meaning, creating impact and avoiding imposter syndrome, then join us and our group and tribe of like-minded, caring, compassionate and flawed entrepreneurs on this journey, trying to work out how to make money do good and be happy.